The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Next, trusting that God loves us enough to handle any pain we're feeling as we spend Wednesdays in the Word with Sheila Walsh. I can think of many times when I've stood on a platform and encouraged other people, maybe you, to be brave and to be true, to pour out the contents of your heart to your Father. And yet, honestly, inside I've struggled with my own feelings. I have to tell you, it took me a long, long time to know how to do that myself. I'm Sheila Walsh. Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. You know, I cannot tell you how much it means to me over the last few weeks and months as I've traveled around the country, whether it's been up in Winnipeg in Canada or no matter where it's been, that I've met so many of you who say, you know, I never miss the show or I set my DVR. And that really means the world to me. I love the fact that we can have this time together and talk about real honest life. I think that's one of the things that I... I'm so moved by when I read through the Gospels, the way that Christ talked to his closest friends about what really mattered. And so one of the things I wanted us to look at today is what do we do with our pain? Because sometimes when we go through something hard and we don't know what to do, we, we hold ourselves back a little bit sometimes from telling God exactly how we feel. And I don't believe that's what God wants. I believe that God invites us to be transparent in our worst days just as much as in our good days when we want to worship. And I, I really saw that with my own son, Christian, when he was little. He was very, very close to William, his papa. That was Barry's dad. He lived with us for the last two years of his life. And when he died, Christian was absolutely overwhelmed with sadness. He did what I expected him to do at first. You know, he cried for days. But then I watched him one day as he did something that was completely out of character. We had this humongous cat called Lily that we had adopted from the Humane Society. And Christian walked past Lily and he pushed her off the sofa. So I said to him a little bit later, how about you and I go for a walk? So we walked together down to the lake where we used to live in Tennessee. And after a while, we, we just sat down and I asked my darling boy a question. I asked him, Christian, are you angry? And he said, yes. So I asked him, why are you angry? And he said this, he said, mom, you told me that God answers prayers. And that night when you and I followed the ambulance with Papa to the hospital, I prayed, God, please don't take my Papa. But he did. So I'm not talking to him anymore. I totally got that. It was then that I told my son what I wish someone had told me when I was a child, it's okay to be angry. It's right to be angry. There's situations, God is big enough and he loves you enough to handle everything you're feeling. I told my son, he could tell God everything and God would never, ever leave him. I also did something practical, which might be a good idea if you've got boys. I bought Christian boxing gloves and a punching bag. And I told him whenever something happens in life where he's so angry and he doesn't know what to do with it, he could hit that thing until there was nothing left in him. 
but I, I got something from his room. He had this almost life-size stuffed lion that we'd bought for him when he was just a little boy. And I told him, Christian, when you have poured out everything that's inside of you, when you've told God that you're angry and you don't understand and you're disappointed, then you can bury your face in the mane of the Lion of Judah. Well, might have been great advice to my son. I have to tell you, it took me a long, long time to know how to do that myself. I can think of many times when I've stood on a platform and encouraged other people, maybe you, to be brave and to be true, to pour out the contents of your heart to your father. And yet, honestly, inside I've struggled with my own feelings. But I can't tell you how often I've turned to the Psalmist David for help. I love the way David wrote. The authentic cries, the praise, the questions of a shepherd boy and then a king have honestly helped give me words to what's been locked inside. Even one of the most simple ones. Psalm 30 verse 10 says this, Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. Something I love about that, it's so intimate about David's words, help me, Lord. Those three little words can become a powerful prayer. Help me, Lord. Whatever you're facing right now, you can borrow those words from David. Your need, your honest prayers, they will not leave you alone. I believe it will actually draw you closer to the Father's heart. Confession has become a daily practice for me. Each morning, I begin with one of my favorite verses. It's Psalm 143, verse eight, and it says this. This is the NIV, I think. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I've placed my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. So I begin with thanking God, gratitude, thanking him for his love that welcomes me, that welcomes you, to come as we honestly are. And then I confess what I know to be true, no matter what might feel true. I mean, honestly, I don't always feel loved by God, but I know that I am loved by God. I don't always feel God's presence close, but I know that he is with me. So that's what I do every day. I'll confess my weakness and my fear, I bring everything I know to be true about me into the open arms of my Father, God. This journey that I've been on for the last couple of years to, to really learn what it means to live an honest, transparent life, but not just that, one where the spiritual disciplines of confession and prayer are buried deep into my heart, it's given me such a hunger to return to the stories I've known since I was a little girl growing up in Scotland. I read them again, but this time I think I read them with fresh eyes and unstopped ears, if you will. If you're in a place right now of loss or suffering, you might want to sit with a man named Job for a while. You probably know the basics of his story. Job was a hero of the faith. <laughs> think about it. He's the kind of man you'd want your daughter to marry. We read that he was blameless a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. 
I mean, you cannot get a higher commendation than that from God. Well, despite that, God allowed Satan to ruin Job's life. We don't understand why, but we know it's true. His suffering was absolutely devastating. I mean, basically he lost everything. He lost every one of his children. They were all together having a meal in one of their homes, tornado out of nowhere, and every single one of his children gone in a moment. He lost his livelihood. He lost all his stock, everything. He was a wealthy man. He lost it all. And finally, he lost his own health. His, that kind of acute suffering took him to the very edge of sanity. His depression was so dark that this is how he prayed. Now remember, this is the man that we've read was a man of complete integrity who feared God. But once the suffering had assaulted his life, this was his prayer. Obliterate the day I was born. Blank out the night I was conceived. Let it be a black hole in space. May God above forget it ever happened. Erase it from the books. May the day of my birth be buried in deep darkness, shrouded by the fog, swallowed by the night. I mean, that is the darkest depression that you can ever imagine, to actually wish that God forgot you were ever born. Well, as his story gets worse and worse, I mean, I found myself, even though I knew the story, I found myself praying, God, please send this poor man some help. Let his friends gather around him and carry him because he can't even stand anymore. And then you meet his friends and they might remind you of some of the comments you read these days on Facebook, not really helpful. Eliphaz, the Temanite, he's his first friend who shows up and this is what he says to Job. Stop and think, do the innocent die? When have the upright been destroyed? In other words, he's saying, listen, you brought this on yourself, Job. Eliphaz's logic reads something like this. God's good, you're suffering, therefore you must have done something wrong. That kind of theology is a theology that leaves no room for mystery. And said, this kind of theology is punishing. Well, next comes Job's friend number two, Bildad the Shuhite. Knowing that Job's children have all been killed in a tragic accident, he brings this attempt at comfort. Does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? Your children must have sinned against him, so their punishment was well-deserved. I mean, it's breathtaking. These words are the ancient equivalent of telling parents who just lost their children in a car wreck while they shouldn't have been drinking. Well, maybe they shouldn't, but what kind of comfort is that? That is the most cruel kind of thing to say to a parent who just lost their children. Well, the words from Job's third friend are no kinder. His name is Zophar. He said, don't you realize that from the very beginning of time, ever since people were first placed on the earth, the triumph of the wicked has been short-lived. The implication's clear. Job's family and Job himself must have been wicked. As I read through his story, I mean, it's hard not to get furious with these self-righteous friends whose words were many and whose comfort was non-existent. You know, my friend Barbara Johnson used to say, when pain is the freshest, words should be the fewest. 
But these friends felt compelled to explain God and suffering and pain and tie everything up with a nice little faith bow. And even as I read the story, even as the anger inside of me rose, I wondered how many times in the past, I wonder how many times I've done the same thing. How many times have I just tried to slap a scriptural band-aid on an open wound? Job's friends determined that if he's suffering, it must have been caused by something he's done, something his children have done, some hidden sin in his past. And back and forth they go. And they argue with this devastated man. But Job, he cries out against God. For he attacked me with a storm and repeatedly wounds me without cause. He'll not let me catch my breath, but fills me instead with bitter sorrows. The last few chapters of the book of Job are staggering. I mean, Job is gut level honest with God. He expresses rage and terror, peppered by just the briefest moments of faith and hope. You know, many people quote Job as saying, I know that my Redeemer lives. That is in there. But the vast majority of the text is Job crying out in pain. How did God respond to that level of authentic confession? Do you know what he did? He responded by giving Job his very presence. God reveals himself to Job. He doesn't actually answer any of Job's questions, but instead he gives him a gift that's far more precious than answers. He gives Job himself. It's like he pulls back the curtain and shows Job there's a lot more going on than he could even begin to wrap his mind or his broken heart around. God reveals himself in greater depth and gives this broken man his very presence. Was God offended by the raw outpouring of a broken heart? Far from it. The only ones God was angry with were the friends who tried to shut him up. This is what scripture says. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. I mean, wow, that's a game changer right there. For you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. I mean, think about it, Job was furious. He was bitter, he was broken, he hated his life, he prayed to die. And the raw, authentic bile that poured out of his soul invited the very presence of God. Job, Job spoke truth. It's not all human life a struggle. In fact, every time Job spoke up, his friends tried to silence him, but he cried out even louder. And it was that truth that invited the love and presence of a tender God. There's something so important here. Raw, honest pain offered to God brings us closer to his heart. God received everything Job said. He welcomed the brutal, real agony of one who believed God was big enough to hear him out and not silence him into shame and hiding. The truth, speaking our honest and raw pain, draws God's presence. We can actually see this in the life of Jesus too. Mark's gospel, 
if you read it, you can tell there's a definite rhythm to it. If you read it straight through, you can feel the pace picking up as Christ finally sets his face toward Jerusalem and the cross. It almost feels like, like there's a clock ticking. Well, on the way to Calvary, Jesus tries once more to prepare his closest friends for what is just ahead. Listen, he says, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. Jesus is focused, bracing for the betrayal and the agony that lies ahead. But suddenly, in the midst of this huge crowd that are following him, Christ hears a cry. It rises from a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, the crowd were furious. They kept saying, be quiet. But he yelled even louder, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, Jesus heard him. And he said, ignoring those who told the beggar to be quiet, he instructs them, bring Bartimaeus to me. And then he asks this blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus responds, I want to see. And Jesus responds by healing Bartimaeus. I love the way that my friend Lisa Harper expresses the truth of this story. Jesus paused Easter to listen to one man. He was on his way to the cross, to the grave, to the resurrection, but he stopped for one. Bartimaeus followed Jesus after that. He was at the cross. He was there after the resurrection. And church history tells us that Bartimaeus became part of the early church. But here's the deal. His relationship began by crying out his need, even when everyone around him told him to be quiet. I don't know what you're facing right now, but I do know this. Tell God the whole truth. Pour it out. It will not alienate you from God. Rather, it will bring you closer. And he hears our pain. I had the privilege recently of taking a trip to Southeast Asia. And I don't think I have seen in a long, long time such raw grief, such incredible pain residing in such little ones. And I made a commitment to the children that I met there that I would bring their story back and that I would let you see and then give you an opportunity to respond to the cries. Those people saying, Lord, help me. Would you watch this? ແຕ່ຖ້າການັ້ນໂຕຖ້າກາຫົບຕົກເລີກຫົບໃຫ້ <coughs> <coughs> นี่ให้ไอ้เวียนี่ตัวให้เก้ไว้ง่อมมาไปง่อมอัดตัวเหี้ยวไว้ง่อมเก้อะไรนะเต้ก็ถ้าเอาตัวเหี้ยวบอก
it's clear to me today more than it has ever been that I know nothing, nothing of suffering compared to this beautiful girl and thousands and thousands like her. It's really overwhelming. It's overwhelming because in Southeast Asia, she's not alone. There's thousands of girls like this and the only hope is not the government stepping in. The only hope is the body of Christ. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's why Jesus came and that's why you and I are on this earth. We can't wait for somebody else to move in and help. It's our job, it's our responsibility. The sex traffickers are not sitting back thinking, well, you know, we'll take a day off. They are there. They're relentless. And if we as the body of Christ don't care more than they care, then God have mercy on us. I'll never forget that girl. You know, I had the scene that you saw right at the beginning of that piece where, I mean, that's where they're living. It's, it's so hard, but her little house was destroyed by some flooding recently. So when she gets back from sleeping with three or four men a night, she literally has to just find a doorstep where she can try and catch some rest. <sighs> Did you see what was written on her shirt? What is right? Clearly what is happening to her is not right. I talked to so many girls and the thing that was horrifying to me was I did not talk to one girl who was over 14. Some of the girls we talked to were nine and 10 and 11. And the thought of a, a young girl going out, trying to make enough money to help her family and thinking the kindness of someone, you know, come in and have a meal, you look hungry. And then realizing the meal is drugged and waking up and being in a room with some stranger, being forced to, to have sex. And then if she refuses, being beaten with that electrical wire, it's heartbreaking. But the thing is, you and I can do something to stop this. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna go back there soon and I cannot go back without doing something. I mean, I, the first night I got back to my hotel room and I literally lay on the hotel room floor and I just sobbed, I was so overwhelmed. And at one point I felt the Lord say, Sheila, dry your eyes and get up because we have work to do. And so that's why I want to invite you to, to join with me in that. We want, I mean, our whole program is to reach, we have to get to where these kids are before they're ever trafficked, to rescue, to rescue those who are in trafficking situations and to restore them, to bring them to a place where they can hear about the love of God, where they can heal, where they can be given a chance to discover they're more than a number. They are a child that's beloved by God. Our prayer is we want to reach 5,000 children. Now we have some amazing partners, and you may be watching, who have said, listen, we want to put up a matching gift. So if you put up $64, that will be matched to rescue one child. If you can put up $128, that will be matched. And you'll have the privilege of seeing two children rescued from trafficking, 1,280, High for some of you, but some of you can do that. That'll be matched to rescue 20 children. I promised these children I would go back and tell their stories. But I'm asking, would you join with me? Sometimes it's hard for people to wrap their hearts and minds around this. It just seems like another world. It is, but we're on this planet at this time for this purpose. You know, to set the captives free. So please, will you go to your phone? Will you, will you call that number? Will you make the best gift possible. Skip a movie next weekend. There's nothing good on anyway. Let's make a difference in the name of Jesus. Please make your best gift 
possible. Thank you. Innocent children and young people longing to be loved and cared for are being abducted and sold at the hands of violent predators. Their spirit and bodies broken under horrific emotional and physical abuse. Through Mission Rescue Life, you can reach out to warn children vulnerable to sex traffickers. You can help rescue those already enslaved. And you can help restore young lives and give them a future. And now, a generous opportunity of a $320,000 matching gift means your gift of $128 to help rescue a child will be matched to help two children. Your $64 gift will be matched to help rescue one child from the horrors of human trafficking. And a $32 rescue gift will be doubled to $64. With your gift, we'll send you the Age of Promise. Randy Robison reveals 10 promises woven through all of Scripture that will transform the way you view God, yourself, and others. With your gift of $128 or more, you'll receive the Prayer is Powerful wood plaque. This unique Scripture art piece is printed on premium birchwood, a beautiful reminder of the power of prayer. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,280, which will now help rescue 20 children and you may request the beautiful Bridge of Faith framed canvas print by Thomas Kincaid. Please call, write, or make your secure gift online today. What I've seen here is the abject poverty that people are living in. And so many young girls are forced into prostitution. They're trafficked because it's de they're desperate. There's no money in the family. So often the father is a drunk, there is debt. And the oldest daughter, sometimes when she's 10, 11, 12, that's the only opportunity because so many of these girls, they've never been to school. I asked one girl, how old were you when you, you left school? She said, I've never been to school. So because they're illiterate, they can't get a decent job. And the only job they can get is at the mercy of a sex trafficker. So I just want to ask you, if God has touched your heart, if you want to stand with me, to stand with James and Betty and say, we want to do something now, will you go to your phone? Will you go online? Will you call that number? Will you make the best gift possible so that we can reach, we can rescue, we can restore? Because surely that is what Jesus Christ has done for every single one of us. Would you make your best gift possible? Would you do it now? Thank you so much. If the phones are busy, please continue to call. You know, I was reading Isaiah 61, and this is what it says, talking about the sovereign Lord to come. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. That's Isaiah 61, verse two. We have the privilege, the joy, the honor of partnering with Christ in this, to go to some of these. I mean, I had the privilege of praying with two of those young girls as they accepted Christ as their savior. I told them sometimes the, the most powerful prayer in the world is one word, the name of Jesus. But let's get them out of there. Let's get their feet on solid ground, a future and a hope. I'm Sheila Walsh. Thank you so much for joining me on Wednesdays in the Word. Be your
The Benham brothers' childhood dream led them into professional baseball, but after hitting several obstacles, the hope of fulfilling the dream was crushed until a miracle occurred. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.